The following is a message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. If uh, you're on the church email, I hope you uh, read your email this week about the coming Christmas Eve service. If you're not on the church email, or maybe it went to your box marked unimportant, which you should change, by the way, because emails from the church are, you know, kind of important, uh, on this bright red sheet of paper that's found at the welcome table there, that email is in printed form. It tells you all about Christmas Eve, including, uh, thanks so much, Zeke, uh, an invitation for our children to remain after church for a bit this morning uh, to decorate what uh, is being called the children's tree. So we have three trees we're going to light on Christmas Eve. The children's tree, which is out in the narthex. Uh, the tree in the chapel, which kind of shines as a testimony of the gospel for our region and the world. Kind of a mission-oriented tree. And then Jack's tree, just on the other side of the chapel. And on Christmas Eve, we're going to light those three trees, say three prayers about them. They will remain lit until... Um, Ash Wednesday, uh, when the next penitential season begins for the church, a prayer uh, during uh, the Lenten season. And so uh, we hope uh, not only will you be out Christmas Eve, this coming Saturday, 4 p.m., um, but uh, children, you're very welcome, or adults, you're welcome to stay afterwards. And um, hopefully we got some decorations. I know we have cookies, and if we don't have decorations, we'll just eat the cookies and find decorations later. How does that sound? Children can go to children's church, because I know they like to do that, and I'm going to drink some water. Uh, I had not intended uh, to be absent from Durkeytown for the entire Lenten season. We had planned that Pastor Mike would preach the first two sermons, Jude would preach the third sermon, and I would preach the fourth sermon, but uh, I guess providentially it worked out that way. There were some needs at St. James that meant I should be there uh, each of the uh, uh, kind of first three Sundays or of, uh, of Advent. So I've missed you, and um, I've heard you've done okay without me, and uh, don't get used to it, uh, but I'm glad, I'm glad, so glad we're all together. And if you're visiting, a very warm welcome uh, to Durkeytown. We are a people who believe uh, having a Bible open in front of you as the Word of God is read or talked about is important then to the kind of learning and grasping of the Scriptures. So with your Bibles open, uh, and there might be some pew Bibles uh, around in the seat backs, but with your Bibles open, Matthew chapter number uh, 1. Matthew chapter number 1. I'm going to read uh, the text for us, beginning with verse number 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph... Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name 
Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did, as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, uh, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. It's the word of the Lord, and it is for our good. The righteous shall rejoice in the Lord and put his trust in him, and all they that are of a true heart shall be glad. Now, Father, I pray that by your grace and mercy I might speak in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that through your Holy Spirit's work, the salvation of Jesus would be made clearly known, and that we might find hope in knowing that salvation in a very real and personal way. We pray this in the name of Emmanuel, our Savior Jesus. Amen. All right. With God's help, my intention is to preach two sermons from that passage, Matthew 1, 18 to 25. You get the first one this morning. You're going to get the second one on Christmas Eve. And I hope that then we put those two together. You'll really get a sense of how Matthew is telling us the story of Christ coming into the world. And we should note right from the start that Matthew sets the story of Jesus quite differently than Luke. Luke's account, right, those first two chapters of Luke, what are, filled with songs, angels, shepherds. I mean, that's the stuff that, you know, manger scenes are made of. Manger scenes are made of Luke. Matthew, that's not a manger scene. Matthew is setting it as a picture of dark forces. Forces that want to control. And are, in fact, controlling a wicked king named Herod. Who is going to set out to destroy uh, the Christ child. Dark forces are, of course, still at work in our day. And we should remember that. I, I read it this morning from Ephesians 6. That uh, you are to take up the whole armor of God. Why? We live in evil times. That's what Paul wrote. And that has not diminished. Let me offer three headlines from our own uh, papers. Uh, it's for us to consider just as examples. Just as examples of how dark forces are at work in our day. Take, for instance, the uh, back-channel negotiations of the government of the United States uh, who used the Saudis to negotiate the release of Brittany uh, Grinner in exchange for what? A known terrorist. An arms dealer. Dark forces at work. Maybe you've caught the news about the refusal of over 50 public libraries in our nation. They're refusing Kirk Cameron, who is a Christian, from allowing his Christian-based children's book to be read in their libraries. But at the same time, many of those libraries are hosting drag queen story hour for children as young as three years old. Dark forces at work. 
just to the north of us, reports out of Canada that over 10,000 people were euthanized by the Canadian government in 2021. The title to that article in which I was reading that was, America, Look What's Coming Next. That same government is considering euthanasia to be made legal for what they call mature minors. Perhaps they assume that if society permits children to decide if they want to be a boy or a girl, society might as well allow them to decide if they want to live or die. Dark forces. Our world, like the one Matthew was telling us about, is filled uh, what, with what we might call stern reality and not dreamy romanticism. No wonder people would prefer to skip Advent as a penitential season and go straight to Christmas. If left with the choice, dreamy romanticism always wins over stern reality. But if we are to find faith and hope and peace and love and joy, we will need to learn how to enter into the dark world with the admonition of St. Paul embedded deeply in our hearts Cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. And while it is true that Advent begins in the dark, it is also true that we as the people of God do not need to live in the darkness. And the challenge for the church, of course, is just that. How do we locate ourselves with Jesus in the contemporary world as people who, like Joseph, are observably righteous. They are observably righteous. Now, I'm going to pause here for a minute because i got a feeling, is this thing still on me and is it still working okay? I'm just having a little bit of difficulty with it. I, am I okay? Take it off and we'll Okay. Boy, I was going there and, and I messed that up. Sorry about that. challenge for the church is to locate itself with Jesus in the contemporary world as people who, like Joseph, are observably righteous. Let's think about Joseph. And we're not here to do a, a men's sermon. This is about people, God's people, men and women, boys and girls, learning what does it mean to live a righteous life and what are some you know, markers of a righteous life. We're introduced to Joseph in verse number 16 in the genealogy as the son of Jacob. But if you move backward from the genealogy back up to the top of the chapter, what you find out is that Joseph is actually from royalty. He is in the line of David, the great king of Israel. But we're also told that he is part of a remnant of people. His ancestors, some centuries prior, had survived the deportation. 
when the Babylonians invaded and carried away large portions of Jews, um, Joseph's family somehow survived that, returned back to Israel, and they survived then not only the Babylonians or the Assyrians, but the Persians and the Greeks, and now living under the Rome, uh, rule of Rome. Finally, in verse number 16, we're told that Joseph is, is married uh, to Mary. He is called the husband of Mary. Now, when, when Matthew is writing this, uh, he is thinking about that in two ways. One, that he is the actual husband of Mary after they had their own children. But now, when you get into the next section, you're going to be uh, finding that Matthew is describing Mary and Joseph's relationship during what is called the betrothal period. That's kind of strange for us. Uh, it's not engagement. It's not engagement. At least not engagement as we know it today. And uh, if, if a translation or a paraphrase says it, it's not engagement. Betrothal was a legal agreement, a binding contract between two families that brought a man and a woman together in marriage that marriage was a legal agreement, not a physical one. The consummation of the marriage would take place after a period of testing when families were satisfied that the terms of the betrothal had been met. And so betrothal was a testing period, and that's very important if we're going to understand why Matthew is telling us this. And important to the whole story of Jesus in his gospel. Because to fail the test is to break the betrothal. And at this point, it would appear that Mary had failed the test. And this then raises a question for us. What do righteous people do when faced with dark and difficult circumstances? What do righteous people do when faced with dark and difficult circumstances? It appears that Mary had failed the test. And uh, in doing so, Joseph then was faced with the decision. But in verse number 19, we are told that Joseph is a just man. Uh, your translation might say righteous, that's okay. Um, the meaning of the word is that Joseph walked a straight path. He did not depart from the way of God. What was true on the outside was true on the inside. And so what Matthew does is he shifts the focus from Joseph's royal connections and on to the quality of the character of his life, and we are actually invited into the inner thoughts of this man, Joseph the Just. Right? I mean, who knows what a man is thinking except the person himself, right? But here, Matthew says, oh, I'm going to bring you into the mind of this man and into the heart of this man, because it's important to the larger story. It's a bit of a surprise, and it's kind of dawned on me this week that while Joseph plays such a significant role in the story that Matthew tells, 
he never once records Joseph saying anything. Never once. Not in chapter 1, not in chapter 2. Joseph doesn't actually say anything. Kind of like Zechariah in the Luke story with the birth of John the Baptist and Zechariah's muted. Joseph is muted. Not, but not because of doubt, like Zechariah. Matthew mutes Joseph so that the virtuous life of Joseph would be what is speaking and not the words coming out of his mouth. When righteousness is faced with stern reality, it doesn't always need to speak words. Because a true life of righteousness knows that actions indeed speak louder than words. But I think another reason Matthew puts the focus on the virtuous life of Joseph is that he wants the readers to know that Mary's pregnancy had absolutely nothing to do with Joseph. And that's important to remember. On the front end of the birth story, the description of Joseph as just is incredibly important as a confirmation that Mary's pregnancy was indeed from the Holy Spirit. Now, now, we have to, again, understand, we're getting a look into the life of Joseph. You know, he didn't say, hey, it wasn't my fault. Matthew doesn't record anything that Joseph says about this. He only records to us what Joseph did in his internal thoughts. But he presents Joseph this way as a virtuous man because everyone would have known that Joseph had nothing to do with the pregnancy. We, we know Joseph. We've watched the character of his life. We've watched him walk a straight path. We know that he is a just man. And so the assumption is, of course, by those looking on, well, this isn't Joseph's fault. This was Mary. Because Joseph is characterized as a just man. But it's also important to see that the description of Joseph as being just has implications on the back end of the story as well. Because when Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant, he does not lash out with irrational anger. He doesn't lash out with condemnation. That's not what righteous people do. They don't lose control of themselves. They don't speak words that they regret. In fact, what, is, what does Joseph do? He responds with mercy, which is exactly the way you would hope a righteous person would respond. Now, now what do you think had been shaped and formed in the life of Joseph that would have caused him to respond with mercy? He would have known that as being shaped by the law of God, that in Exodus 34, that God himself is described as the Lord, the Lord, a God, what? Merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Verse 19 tells us that Joseph is resolved. He's resolved to divorce her quietly. 
which, which meant that he's going to have to bear some reproach, that he doesn't make her a public example. This culture that they are in is an honor culture. And in, you know, Jewish culture particularly, a man's honor was held in high esteem. But Joseph is being merciful because that's what righteous people do. A life shaped and formed by God's word, they don't lash out, they don't act irrationally, they don't shift blame. What do they do? Well, what did he do next? He pondered, he considered. So in a sense, Joseph is going to have to trust himself. Maybe, perhaps, Proverbs 15, 28 was in his mind that the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. When he hears the news about Mary, he considers these things, verse 20. He considers his option. Should he put her to public shame? Should he divorce her quietly? No, I'm resolved. I'm going to... to divorce her quietly. I am going to show mercy. And as he ponders these things, then an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream. And he receives the news in this dream that the child that Mary has conceived is indeed the long-awaited Messiah, the one that uh, will save Israel from their sins. Now, I, I have a question that, you know, I want to ask Joseph one day. How did you go to sleep? I, I mean, I'm just assuming I'm like you and you're like me. Devastating news comes. Last thing you're going to do is go to sleep. Don't run past that too quickly. Because righteous people also are people who trust that God is the final arbiter of all things. And so he is able to sleep, even though his life had just been blown apart. And then when he wakes up, he realizes that God is the one who has been taking the action. Joseph is then given the freedom to obey God, regardless of the cost to him personally. And then he is able to take Mary as his wife. You know, in one sense, the joy of an what would have been considered by his friends and family as an honorable marriage is removed when he takes Mary who is considered to have been unfaithful but Joseph had a deeper joy and regardless of the cost he takes Mary to be his wife and then what does he do well he does again what a righteous person would do he does more than what is required of him now assuming we're given all of the details by Matthew The angel does not say, oh, and Joseph, hold off on consummating your marriage. Joseph just takes it upon himself to be responsible. And as the scripture says, uh, he did not uh, know her. That is, he did not have sexual relationships with her until after she had given birth to a son. And he did what he should have done. He called the son's name Jesus. These are the actions of a righteous man, and these are to be the responses of righteous people 
regardless of the circumstances that they face, circumstances that are favorable or circumstances unfavorable, they are to respond as a people shaped and formed by God's word, just as Joseph was shaped and formed by the word of God. As I said at the beginning of the sermon, the story Matthew is telling was experienced in a time not much different from ours, from the one that we live in. The development of Joseph as a man who is considered just, walking a straight line, was not forged in times of ease. He lived under the Herodian kings. Massive wickedness, raw political power, all kinds of unjust diplomatic alliances. Like our world, the world of Joseph was filled with lovelessness, coldness towards people in need. Whether it was hunger or disease or homelessness or whatever it might have been, the world was cold towards them. Many of them uncared for, left to die. But like our world, Joseph's world was filled with sexual deviance and sexual hypocrisy. And even among the Jews, many of them that were considered externally righteous. What do we know by you know, what John the Baptist preaches or what Jesus himself preaches is that it was all a sham. It was external but internally, right? Lust, fornication, adultery abounded. That's the world Joseph was raised in. Which, you know, brings, brings home to me to say that wherever you are in your life, whatever you have done up to this point, if you have sought the forgiveness of God and you are freely forgiven by God, put a stake in the ground and begin to live righteous today. By God's grace, set a straight line towards righteousness. And by God's grace, don't deviate from it. God is not counting past trespasses against you. Don't count them against yourself either. If you're young and you're just starting out in life, begin to develop your life around the word of God. Have your life forged by the scriptures. And by God's grace, give yourself to them. I want to end with two takeaways. First is that although the power of evil surrounded Joseph, he lived before God as a just man. And in doing so, he received what the scriptures promised. The hope of the righteous brings joy. The hope of the righteous brings joy. And what was the joy that Matthew immediately received? The fulfillment of what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, what Uh, Brian read for us from Isaiah 7. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Joseph uniquely, right, uniquely welcomed God with us into his life. Along with uh, the mother of Jesus, Mary, caring for Jesus' infancy until adulthood. This was the longing, of course, of every faithful Jew. Joseph has a front row seat as the promise comes into the world. 
And as that promise comes, and as that promise takes hold, Joseph receives something else, and that is a reversal of the effects of evil. If you, if you move uh, back from uh, verse number you know, 23 uh, through 25, and you go back up the passage, you can see then how in Jesus everything gets reversed. Joseph has an honorable marriage with Mary. The deportation of sorts that is going to take place when they have to go to Egypt, he's restored back to Nazareth in Israel. And then even the reversal of Herod's kingdom being removed and a true son of David enthroned, Joseph being in the line of David, cared for the very king in his home. A king that he was in the lineage of, the son of David. Brothers and sisters, press into righteousness. Advent does begin in the dark, but through Jesus, we too, in our lives, regardless of what we have done and where we presently are, regardless of those things, a great reversal of the power of evil is taking place and will take place, continue to take place, and can take place in your life personally the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's the second takeaway. Righteousness, not favorable circumstances, is the generator of true joy. True joy is not dependent upon circumstances, favorable or unfavorable. Joseph received the reward of joy through a righteous life, not through favorable circumstances. The truth isn't fully seen until some 30 years later when Jesus, the son of Mary, the God who is with us, is nailed to a cross for the sins of his people. That's how we know that righteousness is the generator of true joy and not favorable circumstances. You see, everything we know about Joseph is to be admired, but it doesn't discount the universal problem that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Joseph, like all of Israel, was a man who needed the salvation that God was bringing, the, the very salvation that he cared for in his home. When they nailed Jesus to the cross, the only truly righteous man died for the sins of his people and for our sins so that we might have not just joy in this life, but eternal joy in him. We need not only the salvation that comes through Jesus, but we need the power of God's righteousness, a righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus to us as we press ourselves into, give ourselves more fully into a life of righteousness. We find joy in full measure. As Advent comes to a close, it is, it is my prayer. I, I believe it's the increasing prayer of a few others that we as a believing community, we as a Christian community, 
take up the victory of Jesus and that we learn to combat the dark forces of evil by living lives of righteousness. Look at the markers of Joseph's life. Examine them in the light of God's grace and ask yourself, what needs developing? Where can I press into this part? How can God and his word and his spirit grow me in righteousness in this particular area like Joseph is displaying for us? That is how the dark forces of evil are going to be combated. That is how the light comes and continues to grow in our midst and by God's grace out into the world in which we live. Take a cue from men like Joseph. Make every effort by God's grace to walk a straight path in obedience. It is my prayer. And again, I, I believe it's the prayer of, of others, perhaps only a few, that we as a church gain greater appreciation for penitential seasons of prayer like the one we're finishing this week. Because in those seasons set apart for prayer and self-examination and the word of God, that is how, you know, the word gets deeply implanted within us. It is my prayer, and I think it's the prayer of a few others, that our church once again takes up Bible study as a priority in congregational life. It is telling. I got some bad news here. It is telling that over a 12-week period, from September to just last week, we were unable to maintain 20 adults on average in Bible study on Sunday morning Sunday school. That's telling. We need to ask ourselves, in a time that is growing darker, will we respond by living righteous lives, fueled by prayer, fueled by God's word, giving ourselves to these things so that we too, forged by God's word, can answer the unfavorable circumstances that we find ourselves in. And when we do this, when we do this, I do believe it will be as the psalmist wrote, that the righteous will rejoice in the Lord, that the righteous will put their trust in him, and all that are of a true heart will indeed be glad. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you, O oh God, for the privilege it is of preaching it today. While I have missed being able to preach here. And I ask, O oh Lord, as I did down at St. James, that your grace would be poured out through this message. Ignite in me and ignite in others a growing, increasing desire for righteousness. And this we pray in Jesus' good name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. 
For more information about Durkee Town, please visit our website at www.durkeetown.org.